we want to focus our thoughts as we are thinking the la- as we were the last couple of weeks on his steps before the cross. Today, we want to just think for a few moments on the communion before the cross. On the communion. We will take part in Lord's Supper at the end of this, at the end of the message as we get closer to the end of the service. We'll take part in the Lord's Supper. But as we are moving in that direction, we want to just think for a few moments on the communion before the cross. We know the cross is coming up. Uh, If we look in in chapter 13 in John's gospel, we find that the cross is soon to come up. Where he's at at that time, in that upper room with his disciples, he's taking his last opportunity to teach them before the cross. It's coming up. As we go through this week, I, I hope we think about the cross is coming up. On Friday, he would be on the cross, but on Sunday, oh, what a rejoicing, a time of rejoicing it should be. It should be. As you turn your Bibles today in chapter 13 of John's gospel, we want to focus on um, three verses, verses 8, 9, and 10, 8, 9, and 10 today. As you're turning there, the, the missionary to Africa Uh, Dan Crawford when his body was found what was also found was a worn New Testament a well-worn New Testament it was found in his coat pocket and inside he had pinned the words of a man who had learned what it meant to be in communion with the Lord the words that he had penned was, I cannot do it alone. The waves dash fast and high. The fog comes chilling around and the lights go out in the sky. But I know that we too shall win in the end, Jesus and I. He continues, coward and wayward and weak, I change With the changing sky. Today so strong and brave. Tomorrow too weak to fly. But he never gives up. So we too shall win in the end. Jesus and I. (laughs) You know that really. When we look at these words. They could have been the apostle Peter's. uh, Words of testimony. As he grew to understand what it meant to experience a true communion with our Lord. As a matter of fact, it should actually be the words of all of our testimony as we each grow to understand what it means to experience a true communion with the Lord. Chapter 13, here in the book of John, it becomes very obvious that Peter hasn't come to a clear understanding of what true communion with the Lord was. But it's here. It's on this journey that we've been on the last couple weeks and today that we find Peter's journey to understanding actually begins. Here in these three verses, the Bible says in verses 8, 9, and 10, it says, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, 
If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. This is God's holy word. God, as we look to you today, we pray that you would move and minister in our midst. That God, the broken words that have been prepared, God, today, we pray that you would fix them, form them, fashion them in the hearts of each one that is here. We pray, God, that you would move upon us in a mighty way to where we would receive your word and we would understand what it is to be in true communion with you. God, help us. Help us in this time. And God, if there's one who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray that today they would seek a true communion with you. Today they would call out, what must I do to be saved? Today that they would come to know you through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we'll praise you for whatever is accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Yeah. Now we all know that the disciples ambition and pride was getting in the way of them realizing the truth of what Jesus had been teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, they were looking for position and power and authority. And because of this, the last couple of weeks, we've been able to see that Jesus was concerned for his disciples before he went to the cross. His concern for them motivated him to employ a, a method of teaching them that would uh, teaching them that they would only find the glory that he would have them to receive through service and not through position. However, we also learned last week that Jesus' method, while it was precise, it presented some challenges for the disciples before he went to the cross. Challenges about their conviction and, and who Jesus really is. And also challenges of their conduct if Jesus is truly their teacher and their Lord. Well, today we want to really notice that the text helps us to see that there was communion before the cross. And in understanding communion before the cross, we first notice that there was conflict with the communion. Now, we, when we think of the word communion, we often think of words like relationship and fellowship. As a matter of fact, in church, we hear the word communion and we begin to look for a table such as this, a table that's been prepared so that we can observe the Lord's Supper. However, when we actually begin to define the word communion, it specifically says it's the sharing or the exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when, it, when the exchange is on a mental or a spiritual level. So here what we find in this setting is that Jesus and his disciples had finished their dinner, but Jesus wasn't finished exchanging and intimate thoughts or intimate feelings on a spiritual level with the disciples. So he prepares himself and he pours water into a basin and he begins to wash their feet. Peter is observing everything that is taking place. And as Jesus begins to approach him, 
Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Well, conflict in the communion. Here we have to understand that what could have possibly been going through the mind of Peter. Uh, We want to think about how rash he was and we want to think about how irreverent it was but but it's it appears that that wasn't truly the case the act of washing the feet uh for peter anyway it going through his mind it was an act of service expected from a servant or from a slave so it appears that peter wasn't being very rash he was it he was actually attempting to be reverent We also know that whenever Peter attempted to be reverent with the Lord, he got put in his place. Uh, You know, here we, we can see why Peter was attempting to be reverent this way. Because in John 6 and 69, Peter spoke up on behalf of the disciples and he declared that that we have come to believe and know. He didn't say we have come to think. He said we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So here Peter believed so strongly in who Jesus was that he, he left being a fisherman to become a fisher of men. He also witnessed Jesus' power. He witnessed Jesus heal the sick and make the lame to walk, give sight to the blind and make the dumb to talk. He witnessed the feeding of 5,000 men plus women and children with two fish and five loaves of bread. He witnessed Jesus speak to the wind and the water and the seas obeyed. He witnessed Jesus raise the dead to life. He witnessed Jesus walk on water. Jesus wasn't a slave to Peter. When Peter looked at Jesus, he saw the son of God. So here Peter says, you, the son of God, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus responds quickly. And he says, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. That word part, here in the context, it would be defined as a portion or a share of the whole. So we get words like partnership, words like fellowship, words like communion from this word part. It appears here that Jesus could have been saying to Peter, I want you to have a part in what I'm doing. I want you to be in fellowship with me. I want you to be in partnership with me. I want you to be in communion with me. And as long as you're in fellowship or in partnership or in communion with me, you will sense my presence as you worship me, as you work for me, as you witness for me. But if I don't wash your feet, (laughs) you will not be in communion with me. You will have no part of me. You you know, whenever God called men to speak on his behalf, he wasn't, he was always asking them to, to join him, to partner with him, to be in fellowship or communion with him in the work of the ministry. And when God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, 
we were able to see a conflict, were we not? Jonah didn't want to partner with what God wanted to do in that city. As a matter of fact, uh, instead of being in communion or fellowship with God, Jonah tried to go in his own direction. And for this, he became the cause of a ship being tossed about at sea. And when, when Jonah was thrown off the ship to, to save the lives of those who were on the ship, he was swallowed by a great fish. Now, reluctantly, he went to Nineveh. He preached repentance or they would face the wrath of God. The people believed and they repented and God forgave them. What God wanted and what Jonah wanted for the people of Nineveh were two completely different things. God wanted to save the people, but Jonah wanted God to destroy the people. And when Jonah declared the word of the Lord, over 120,000 people believed. God had chosen Jonah to partner with him to, uh, to be part of the greatest evangelistic service that ever took place in this world. 120,000 thousand people at one message believed and yet Jonah was greatly disappointed he became so angry that he wanted to he wanted to die because of what had taken place can you imagine that he wanted to die because people believed and God forgave them <laughs> no Jonah wasn't in communion with God because and because of that, he couldn't rejoice in the great work that God had done in the lives of the people of this wicked city. You know, for us to be in communion with Christ, we must first have a relationship with him. And that relationship must be that he is our Lord and Savior. As a matter of fact, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he provides us everything we need to be in communion with him. He, he begins to live within us through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. He puts us in communion with him and he begins to teach us and to guide us and to direct us. He begins to comfort us and he does this as he's doing this he's inviting us to partner with him in the work of the ministry he invites us to be in communion with him in order to be a witness in this cruel and dark world he invites us to be in fellowship with him so that we can worship him in spirit and in truth however when we are rebellious and want to go our own way we are no longer in communion with him when we disobey him and fail to partner with him we become a stumbling block to those who are seeking him when we seek the satisfy our flesh rather than his will then our fellowship is broken and we cannot genuinely worship the Lord instead we merely go through the motions and we prove to be unfruitful in the work of the kingdom of God this is a conflict that we can find ourselves in when we should be in communion with God but that's not where we have to be. We don't have to be in conflict. Because here what we find is, is there was a concession of communion. Here when Jesus told Peter that if he did not wash his feet, he would have no part in him. Peter conceded quickly. He said, Lord, not my feet only but also my hands and my head. 
Peter was saying here, Lord, I want to partner with you in your work. I want to be in fellowship with you so that I can be a witness for you. I want to be in communion with you so I can worship you. And if the only way that I can be a part of you is for you to wash me, I don't want to take any chances. Go ahead and not only wash my feet, but wash my hands and my head. Does that sound like us from time to time? When we get afraid because we have been rebellious to God and we don't know how God is really going to respond to us, we're praying, asking to forgive us. But we sit and we worry instead of trusting that our sin has been washed away. We'll worry about what God is going to do, how he's going to, how he's going to make us pay for the sin that we've committed when he's already forgiven us of the sin. Yes, Peter, Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. You know, John Wesley once said, I want the whole Christ for my Savior, the whole Bible for my book, the whole church for my fellowship, and the whole world for my mission field. And we should want all of Christ, but we must be willing to give him all of us. It seems Peter here is having a hard time really understanding what Jesus is doing. So Jesus responded by saying, he who is bathed needs only to be to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Now, you have to notice this difference. If we're reading from the King James Version, you may not see it as it as you would in the new King James. Because the first time you see the word wash in that sentence or in that uh, verse is actually the word bathed is used. If you look in the Greek, that's what you would find. And, and new King, the New King James helps us to see that because it uses the word bathed first. And when it uses the word bathed, it's, it's being, it, it means to be thoroughly clean or thoroughly cleansed. So basically what Jesus is saying is you have already been cleansed thoroughly already. All you need now is to wash your feet. Here, he he had been thoroughly cleansed, but with that second word wash there, it means to wash a specific area on the body. Now some make it a practice each morning when we get up to go and bathe. Some make it a practice at night before going to bed that you go and bathe. Some make it a practice to wash each morning and each night. Depending on what kind of job you have, I would encourage you to do it. Depending on what kind of activities you do after the job, whether you washed in the morning, I'd encourage you to wash that night. Because there are certain things that need to be cleaned off of us. We need to be thoroughly bathed, right? But when we've been outside in the yard or we've been working a little bit at home, when we come in and we want something to eat or we want something to drink, we'll wash our hands before we open the refrigerator or we'll wash our hands before we sit down at, a, at some snack or some plate of food. Uh, here, that, that's the liking that Jesus has right here in this, in this um, discourse with Peter. He's telling Peter that once you've taken a bath, you're clean. 
seen. However, just walking from one place to another on the dusty roads of Palestine, you may need to wash your feet. And for us, what that means is that if Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, he has cleansed us from our sins spiritually. He has bathed us in his blood. Somebody should shout right now that we are bathed in the blood of Jesus. We are completely clean. We are free from the penalty of our sin. Although the Lord has cleansed us from our sin, if we do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, we are still in the flesh. Now, keep this in mind. If we want to experience the presence of God, we need to keep our feet clean. What does that mean, preacher? It means this. Because we're still in the flesh, we're all subject to getting our feet dirty. We all know the story in in Matthew's gospel in chapter 16. Jesus asked his disciples, who are people saying that I am? And they listed names. We remember the names, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, and Elijah. They even said, well, you know, some of them say you're one of the prophets. But then Jesus turns to them and asks them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up again. And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus' response is, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Only my father in heaven has revealed it to him. Now here, here we see, we see Peter has spoken. In the spirit of God. He speaks and the spirit of God is all over him. Or he wouldn't have said the words that he said. But not only that. He's speaking to the very son of God. Peter even declared it. That you are the Christ. The son of the living God. But if we go a little further in that conversation. Just a couple verses down. What we'll find in verse 12 in chapter 16. Peter. uh, Jesus had started telling them. About uh, uh, needing to go through. Jerusalem and as he needs to go through Jerusalem that he was going to be taken he was going to be beaten and he would be crucified or he would be killed but in verse 22 Peter took him aside and then began to rebuke him saying far be it from you Lord that this shall not this shall not happen to you listen Peter is in the spirit of God when he says Thou art the Christ. And then he's actually talking to the Son of God when he declares that he is the very Son of the living God. And now he looks at the Son of God, and instead of being in the Spirit of God, he's in his flesh. And he rebukes God's only begotten Son. The Bible says he took him aside like he was a child, like he had authority to take somebody aside who's the Son of God and rebuke them for what they just said let me tell you something folks here we can be in the spirit of God and we can also be in our flesh in just a twinkling of an eye it doesn't take that long Peter shows us that that by the grace of God we're saved and it's only by the grace of God we'll ever see Jesus face to face why why did I use this illustration because Peter showed us that here he's in the presence of God speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit but before the conversation's over he's in the flesh in other words his feet's dirty (laughs) you know we can get our feet dirty (laughs) leaving the church 
Oh, let, let me say it right. Can I, can I tell us the truth? Our feet can be dirty on our way to church. And our feet can remain dirty while we're in church. And, and when we leave church, we, could, we can leave the same way we can. We came with our feet dirty if we're not careful. We need our feet clean. Our unconfessed sin, or should I say our dirty feet, it will hinder our worship of our Lord. If you can't worship the God with a service like we've already had, then maybe your feet's dirty. Maybe there's some unconfessed sin in your life and you can't sense the presence of God in your worship. I pray that's not the case. You know, I'm trying to make a habit never to turn my back around unless it seems like somebody's being hurt. Never just to turn around and look because you know the truth is it doesn't matter what you do I'm going to worship him and I'm going to worship him in spirit and the truth and I hope you feel the same way About whoever's sitting next to you whoever's sitting behind you or in front of you Whoever might be in the balcony watching that you're just going to worship him because like brother Marcus said earlier He is our audience. We're not the audience. We're not here to, uh, to, to, to Get praised the choir is not entertaining us. They're leading us to worship the Lord Folks, it it will hinder our worship, having unconfessed sin in our lives. To regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear us. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 tells us, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. We can't even seek God's face until we get right with one another. Our unconfessed sin will hinder our work for the Lord. Ephesians 4 and 1 tells us that we are to walk worthy of the calling that we are called. If we are to hold, if we will hold on to unconfessed sin, our labor will be in vain. There will be no fruit to come from our work for the Lord. We need to confess our sin. And as born again Christians, the Holy Spirit has taken place in our lives. But make no mistake, his work is far more than just leading, guiding, and directing. He also convicts us of our sin. And when he convicts us of our sin, our duty is to agree with him, confess our sin, repent, turn away from our sin and when he does he will wash us clean our unconfessed sin will not only hinder our worship and our work but it also hinder our witness of the Lord when unconfessed sin lingers our fellowship our communion with the Lord suffers and we find ourselves not experiencing the presence of God yes we live out we live by faith But to experience the joy of our salvation is fully dependent on our fellowship, on our communion with him. We see see this in Psalm 51. We know the story behind Psalm 51. David has sinned with Bathsheba. He has murdered her husband. He has had a child with her and now that child has died. And David is crying out for forgiveness. When the prophet had to come to David and reveal to David, God knows all that you've done, David. He said, because you've given the enemy. Not because, not because you sinned. (laughs) 
That's not what he says. He says, because you've given the enemy reason to blaspheme. He spelled it out for David. He made it crystal clear. David, this is what your sin has caused. The enemy now can blaspheme against the Lord. And because of that, your son will die. Not only that, the sword will never leave your house. When when this was revealed to David, he didn't make excuses. He didn't cry, woe is me. He acknowledged his sin and he cried out to God. And in crying out to God, he cries out, restore the joy. In verse 12 in Psalm 51, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. (laughs) The presence and the joy of the Lord can be experienced. But it's experienced when we're in communion or we're in fellowship with the Lord. When his spirit is grieved, we cannot experience his joy. We cannot experience his grace, his comfort, or his strength. When we fail to experience his presence, we will fail to be the witness that he would have us to be for him. But it doesn't have to be that way. Just as Peter conceded to what Jesus said, wash me. We have an opportunity to seek his face. You know, if you are a born again believer, you're welcome to this table today. What I mean is if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you know God through his son, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to this table. If you don't, I would caution you. I would strongly caution you. Don't partake of this supper. Because if you do, the Bible says some who've taken it unworthy have been sick. And some who's taken it unworthy have slept. Which means some got sick because of it. Some died because of it. So be careful. If you don't know that you know that you know that you've been born again. If you're not sure that heaven is your home and you're not ready to reconcile that, don't take of this supper. Gosh, don't take of it. But if you know, if you have no doubt in your mind that heaven is your home, you're welcome to this table. You're welcome to it. Well, preacher... I know heaven's my home, but, but I can't partake of the supper unworthy. Listen, to take of this supper unworthy is to take it without having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Well, I don't feel like I'm in fellowship with him right now. Well, we're going to give you an opportunity to fix that. Right now, as every head's bowed, every eye's closed, if you're here today and there is unconfessed sin in your life, my prayer is that you would rectify that with God. Rectify that with God. That you would go ahead and, and set that straight with Him. That you would right now surrender, humble yourself, and surrender yourself to Him. Seek His forgiveness and trust that He has forgiven you. But also, as they sing this song, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never been saved. 
If you believe Jesus is the son of God, that he was born of a virgin, that he came to this sin-cursed world and he gave his life for you. If you believe this with all your heart, that he died on an old rugged cross. And on the third day, he rose in victory over death, hell, and the grave. If you believe this and are willing to receive him as your Lord, what I mean is repent of your sins and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And you trust that he has done just that, which his word tells us that he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He tells us that if you would confess your sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And if you're ready to do that today, I'd love to lead you to Jesus.